This is from a recorded talk. So we have hearts of faith and with firm intention uh, to develop merit, cultivate merit, develop our barami. And this is something which is not easy to do. So we see for our Buddha, uh, the fully self-awakened Buddha, that when he gained this aspiration, this wish in his heart to um, awaken and become the self-awakened Buddha, then he started to cultivate and develop his barami. And this is something that requires a lot of doing, uh, that as a bodhisattva, he had to develop a huge amount of barami. And we can look at dana barami, for instance, this uh, generosity. And this is something uh, that he had to cultivate uh, from the kind of normal level of uh, generosity uh, to a higher level, uh, where he was willing to sacrifice and give up parts of his body. And then to the very ultimate level of developing this barami, where he was willing to sacrifice his life. And he did this um, in many, many lives, and sacrificed to the highest level, the ultimate level, sacrificing uh, his own body, his own life. In order to develop this uh, barami, dana barami, to its fullest, you can also look at sila barami, this uh, perfection of virtue. And this too is something that he had cultivated uh, for many lives. So in one of his lives as a Naga, uh, his name was Puridatta, and he decided to cultivate uh, this barami of sila uh, in the human world, but as a Naga. And he accepted death. He was willing to uh, die, but he wasn't willing to compromise on his precepts, compromise on the sila. We see that this too was the way that he cultivated uh, this barami to the ultimate level, the highest level. And we just can't count for how many lives this happened, that as a bodhisattva, uh, through each of his lives, that he uh, developed a specific barami for each of those lives. Uh, whether the barami, the barami of generosity, of virtue, of wisdom, of equanimity, and sometimes the barami of persistence or energy, effort. And uh, see that in his life as Mahachanaka, that he cultivated this barami, this perfection of effort. For most of his lives, when he was cultivating this barami, he did so in the city of Varanasi. And this is the place, the location, that each Buddha uh, develops their barami for the most part. And they all do this uh, because they've set their hearts on helping all beings to be freed from sangsara. And it would be very easy uh, for our Buddha as a bodhisattva to become an arahant 
because his barami had already reached that level, um, was already full. But he had this highest aspiration, uh, that of becoming a Buddha. He wished to help all beings to be freed from suffering. So when our minds are stuck in the cycle of birth and death, and they have avijja, ignorance, that drags them around, that leads them. And this is what uh, pulls us into birth and death. And we just can't find an end to this. We can't find a beginning to sangsara. We can't find an end to sangsara either. And if our minds are still following this ignorance, craving, and clinging, then there will still be becoming and birth. And then we'll still have to be born again. And when we're born again, then we'll have to meet with sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, old age, sickness, and death. But if we don't have birth, then we don't have suffering. But the reason that we've been born is um, that our minds are still stuck, still stuck in these realms of existence. Whether it's the realm of sensuality, uh, the form realm or the formless realm. And if our minds um, are still stuck, if they're still clinging to any of these realms, then there will be birth, the mind will need to take birth, and then it will need to suffer. So there's the process um, that creates this, that creates birth, that creates suffering, this dependent origination that the Buddha taught about and awakens to. And if we're going to put down becoming and birth, then we need to abandon our clinging first. And if we're able to abandon this clinging, then we can cut off becoming and birth. We can be successful in that. So if we're going to free ourselves from suffering, this needs to come through our own efforts. We need to do it ourselves. But the Buddha, he he knew the methods of this already. And if he wished to attain to awakening um, and just become awakened by himself, all it would take was for him to just change his mind and he could awaken very easily. Um, because his barami had already reached that level for a long, long time, uh, the level to become an arahant. But through the mind that was imbued with kindness and compassion, he thought that if he just attained awakening by himself, then who would be there to help all beings? there would still be so many beings engulfed in suffering, and who would help them out? So the Buddha had this bodhicitta, uh, the mind of awakening, of bodhi, imbued with kindness and compassion, imbued with this wish to help all beings to be freed from suffering. And so this is why we call him a bodhisattva, So the Buddha had already developed his barami to a high degree when he received the prediction 
that he would become a future Buddha. His uh, Bhairami was already full, but he needed to cultivate it even further. And he did this for four sankhyas, four incalculable periods, and a hundred thousand kalpas, or eras. In order to um, attain to awakening. So when he received this prediction, he received that from a former Buddha, and he saw that he would have the name of Gautama, and that he would uh, become a Buddha. So when we praise the Buddha, we praise the great qualities, his great compassion, his great wisdom, his great purity and that he sacrificed his life for countless lifetimes in order to help us. So for us in this lifetime, and perhaps in previous lifetimes as well, we've had the good fortune to meet with the teachings of the Buddha. And we should think that for him to awaken, it was no small feat, it was no easy matter. It took a really, really long time. And for the next Buddha to arise, um, the Buddha after our present one, um, it's going to be a very long time as well. But we're fortunate in that um, we live in a prosperous age an era in which there are five Buddhas. And so there's been three previous ones, then our present Buddha, Gautama, and then the next Buddha, uh, Arya Maitreya. But if we're going to meet with the next Buddha, with Arya Maitreya, then we need to cultivate our Bharamis first as well. This perfection of generosity we need to look after our sila, our virtue, as well. And then we also develop the faith and the effort, the energy, uh, to meditate, to cultivate our hearts. And so we do this uh, through developing these ten skillful deeds, ten skillful uh, forms of kama. And these that we develop through um, our body, speech, and mind. And so through our body, there's three. Through our speech, there's four kinds. Through our mind, there's three kinds. And so through our body, it's not harming or killing any beings. It's not uh, stealing and uh, not engaging in sexual misconduct. And through our speech, um, there's not uh, speaking false words, not speaking harsh words or divisive words or frivolous um, words. And then through the mind, um, there's the three skillful deeds of not being greedy, of non-ill will and of right view, you know, which involves a belief in kama. So when we train our minds in this, in skillfulness, um, we give our minds intelligence. And the Buddha taught this already. And so we should come to contemplate each aspect of the Dhamma that the Buddha taught, because he taught it in a very refined and deep way. 
We have this opportunity now that we've been born as humans, both in body and in mind, and this is no easy matter. And for us to have received the Dhamma, to be able to be in contact with the Dhamma, this is no small feat either. It's not an easy thing to come about. So when we listen to the Dhamma, then we have hearts of devas. Because we see that most people, and people who have quite common minds, ordinary minds, um, they enjoy listening to things like music. But for us, we have sacrificed that kind of happiness. And we've come to listen to the Dhamma. Because we see that that kind of happiness, the kind that comes from listening to music, it does give us a happiness. But it's not a happiness that lasts long. It's not stable. It's not temporary. So instead we listen to these words of truth in order to gain an understanding of them. And then we gain this kind of wisdom that comes from listening. Having listened, we think about what we've heard, and then we gain another kind of wisdom from that. And we come to understand and know that this craving and clinging is the cause for suffering to arise. And then from that, this gives us the incentive to abandon this clinging. And the attachments that we have towards forms or this body, towards feelings, uh, perception, thoughts, mental formations, and sense consciousness. So the Buddha taught about this uh, already. He taught about how we should train ourselves, how we can develop this path, about how to be generous and for this generosity to, to become a normal part of our lives and everyday thing that we do. And then to restrain our body and speech through virtue, through sila. So if we're going to build anything, whether it's a house, whether it's a monastery, the various halls and huts and jetties um, within monasteries, they need to have firm foundations. And sometimes we uh, we um, put pillars kind of deep into the ground in order to um, give that strength, the foundation strength, to receive very tall and heavy buildings, such as dhamma halls, such as jetties. And this allows them to stay and last for a very long time. So this is true not only for monastic buildings, but also for any buildings um, in the world, that they require the strong foundation. And it's true for our hearts as well. They require a strong foundation. In order to be true humans in our hearts, our ones who have minds which are high, we need to have sila, dhamma. We need to be virtuous. And also to have these qualities of hiri and otapa, um, a wise and appropriate um, shame in wrongdoing and fear of wrongdoing. And this forms the strong foundation for us to cultivate our minds. And so why should we go about doing this? And why do we study the Dhamma? Well, when we study the Dhamma, when we get to know about the Dhamma, then we gain an understanding of it. And we see that 
this Dhamma is really able to cure all of the suffering within our minds. But we also understand that we don't live just by ourselves and we're not able to survive just by ourselves. We have a mother, a father, we have brothers and sisters, other relatives, friends and colleagues, and we live together in society. And there are many, many people that we know, many people we associate with. And when there are many people like this, um, then we need to be cautious around them as well. And so the Buddha taught in the Mangala Sutta, the Sutta on the Blessings, uh, Asevana Jabalanan, uh, Panditanancasevana Puja Japujaniyanan, um, that we should associate with the wise and that we should stay away from the foolish and that we should pay homage to those worthy of paying homage to. And these three, they are some of the highest blessings in our lives. So there were many devas who wished to know what the highest blessings in life were, but they simply weren't able to know that. They couldn't gain this knowledge. But the wisdom of the Buddha was very deep and very sharp, and so he taught uh, them about these highest blessings and to not associate with fools. Because when we do that, and when we associate with fools, then this just brings us aggravation. And this just brings disturbance to our lives. So we must know also not only what other people are like, but also what our own hearts are like as well. Are our hearts in a foolish state right now? Because if they are, not only will we bring aggravation to ourselves, but we'll also bring a lot of disturbance to other people as well, suffering to others too. And so we should be cautious, not only externally, but also internally as well, to not associate with fools outside of ourselves and not associate with internal fools. And because if we associate with fools, we have foolish friends, um, then we don't know what it is that they'll lead us to do, what paths they'll take us on, and whether they'll be tricking us or not. So you must have mindfulness and wisdom. And whenever there's greed, hatred and delusion that arises in the heart, um, then this will try to pull us into unwholesome things. And this is the kilesa mara, the demons of defilement arising within the mind. So we must make sure that we keep our precepts in this case. And when these defilements come up strong, we still maintain our precepts and really keep this as a foundation uh, for our hearts. And we try to build up this barami of sila and make it very firm, make it very strong. And when we do this a lot, when we really make this barami, the sila barami, strong, then samadhi, it won't run away from us, it won't be able to get away from us. It'll need to arise, for sure. And then we'll gain a clear understanding of our own minds and see how when they have clinging, 
then they suffer in this way. But we'll also see that the mind which has abandoned clinging is happy like this too. And we'll know these two states. And then this brightness and purity will be able to arise. We also come to realize kind of the great sacrifices of the Buddha. And that if he wished to attain to being an arahant, then he would have done that a long time ago. But if he had done that, then who would teach us? If there was no Buddha in this present age, um, then who would teach us? And how would we know this path? And it was because the Buddha sacrificed um, that he was able to teach this path and that they were savakas, these awakened disciples of the Buddha, who could arise, starting with the five ascetics and then getting passed down to Venerable Ananda, Venerable Mahakasapa, and then right down to our age, Lumpuman, Lumpucha. And then they too taught the Dhamma to us. But for each of these awakened beings to gain the Dhamma, it really wasn't something easy at all. And this is something that Lumpucha would talk about very frequently. And that when he practiced, that, and for him to gain the Dhamma, he had to pass through many, many obstacles. And he had to put his life on the line. And it really wasn't easy at all. So when these great teachers have taught the Dhamma in this way, then we should take heed, we should listen and contemplate, and then practice accordingly. And if we do this, then we will gain results. There will be this inner joy that arises, and we'll be able to see the Dhamma. But initially we just carry on practicing the Dhamma every day, developing our mindfulness. But we shouldn't become impatient or hot-hearted as well. Because if we're too impatient, then this will prevent us from seeing the Dhamma. So you may think that I've been practicing for such a long time now, I just haven't gained results. This is something that I can't do, it's impossible for me. I don't have enough patience, I don't have enough endurance to do this. But if we think like this, then we just become discouraged in the practice. But instead, what we should do is to kind of bring up this inner energy, this desire to practice, this chanda, to be meditating, uh, to make sure our actions of body and speech are virtuous, to be listening to the Dhamma, to be developing these ten kinds of skillful actions. So we make sure that we do this, that we're generous, that we're virtuous. And then as we meditate, it's normal that sometimes we feel peaceful and sometimes not. But this isn't something that we should worry about. We just carry on practicing without stopping, having effort, and um, developing generosity, just carry on doing this, carry on keeping our sila as the basis for our lives, and be looking at and observing our minds. Whatever sense impressions or moods arise within them, we teach ourselves that these are not sure, these are unstable, 
These are things that we shouldn't attach to, that all of them are anicca, dukkha, anatta. All of them are changing, all of them are stressful, all of them are not self. And when you try to put them down, to lay them aside, and we train our minds like this every single day, and when we have the opportunity, we can come to the monastery and practice for three days or five days or seven days. In some places now, they are open up for nine uh, or ten day meditation retreats. And we can do this if we have the time and the opportunity to be looking at our bodies, be looking at these feelings. And then when the mind settles into peace, they'll be able to separate out. The mind separates out from the feelings. And the mind can separate out from all of its objects. And then we can see the Dhamma, gain a clear understanding of the Dhamma. But it's normal in the beginning that the mind will be full of doubts and desires, really wishing to attain to the Dhamma quickly. But these strong desires, they can just push up even more doubts. But it's important that as we practice, uh, we do so with a sense of letting go. And we just carry on doing this, carry on practicing in this way, letting go as well. And in no long time we'll gain an understanding. Our minds will reach peace and stillness, coolness. And we'll understand then that really the practice, it's not something complicated or difficult at all really comes down to just having mindfulness. It's not something that we need to think about too much. We don't need to proliferate much about it. We just be mindful. So we try to keep this mindfulness with us constantly. And then we'll see for ourselves, we'll know for ourselves, that samadhi will become well-established wisdom, will arise. We'll see that when the mind has skillful qualities within it, and has good qualities within it, and then the mind is with wise beings, it's associating with the wise. And these things, they take us to do goodness, both in the world and also uh, in this path of Dhamma as well. And they allow for wisdom to arise. And we also need to pay homage to those who we should pay homage to. So this means our mothers and fathers. It also means the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And we take the Dhamma that the Buddha taught and put this into practice, really train our body and our minds well. Because what we gain from our occupations, our work in this world, um, we can use that to support our bodies. But our hearts, they also need a support as well. They also need nourishment. And the food for the heart, this is the Dhamma. If our minds are lacking this Dhamma, then they'll just be sad. They'll just be in a sorrowful and melancholy state. But when the mind has Dhamma, then it turns bright and clean and pure. So we've all searched for many external things already. And we need to do this in our lives. But we should also come to search and seek out our hearts. We need to find the true heart, the true mind, the genuine mind. Because normally ignorance, craving and clinging, this engulfs our hearts. 
But when we can cut away at these, when we can abandon them, then the lives that we have left in samsara steadily reduces. So today we've come to practice. We've been generous already. We've taken up the precepts already. We've listened to the Dhamma. So may all of you contemplate this, and may you all prosper in the Dhamma.